Good morning. Thinking about the Super Bowl today, time was when I was pastoring in San Francisco, and I am a 49ers fan, so that was kind of the perfect placement for me. But <clears throat> we had no way to watch the games unless it was watched in real time on television, and so I missed a lot of the games because the VCR had not been created yet. And we had a, we had a board member who was a, uh, he had been a lifetime season ticket holder. So I would always see him get up and leave about five minutes before the end of the service because he had it all timed out so he could make it to the stadium for the kickoff. So how easy is it now that we have things that are recorded, that we can live stream, that we can, so that, so that we can put the Lord first. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> We're in Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. I'd like to read it to you. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the son of Israel at Gilbeath Haaroth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So basically God just said, we're gonna take a few more laps here in the wilderness. So it was their children, verse 7, whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, that's a whole lot about circumcision, isn't it? It's probably been months since you've thought about that. 
when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said, there's a lot of humor in here, I think. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month. In the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased that day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us? Or for our adversaries. And he said, No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say? To his servant. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua and Israel were going to war. But I was thinking how normal it is to hear words of war and military conflict used in the principal domains of our everyday life, such as sports, business, politics. If you pay attention, you hear words of war. And not only in sports, business, and politics, but disease, even in love. Joshua and Israel were going to war, real war, I guess we could say. And far more was at stake in real war than was in sports or business or politics disease or love. But this is the amazing thing. It's such an utterly unorthodox and strange approach to something as grave as war that the people take. 
And that's because their first order of business, the priority of preparations for battle, had nothing to do with engaging the enemy, but everything to do with engaging God. And there's something for us to learn in that. As they were so close to battle, as they were camped, as it were, perched, as it were, on the doorstep of the battlefield, God tells Joshua and the people, come closer to me. Come closer to me. God told Joshua, be strong, be courageous. But the strength and the courage come in drawing closer to God. And God wants Joshua and his people, even though they're on the doorstep of war, the first order of business, the highest priority, the most important thing they can do to get ready for war. I mean, what could be more serious? What could be more captivating of our attention and our time than going into battle where everything is at stake? And God says, come closer to me. That's the important thing. No, not... not disassembling your revolver, your revival, rev, rifle and cleaning it, not all of these other things, but come closer to me. This is the priority, God first. And I think I have to emphasize that. And this chapter, this episode in the life of Joshua and the people, it has to be emphasized as well because in our modern world, this is a ludicrous thing that they do. And it is a ludicrous thing that we are called to do when God says, come closer. That's the real important preparation. I read this week, uh, it was just happenstance. You know, dumb luck, I guess. Or maybe a divine appointment. But I read this quote that Abraham Lincoln, so it goes, uh, was given to say that if I had... Six hours, this is the way the quote goes, if I had six hours to cut down a tree, I would spend the first four sharpening my axe. But I couldn't find that it was actually from Abraham Lincoln, and it wasn't. And really, what woodsman needs six hours to cut down a tree? The actual quote comes from an experienced woodsman, and the quote is, if I had six minutes to cut down a tree, I would give the first four to sharpening my axe. Now, that's an old adage that's very important because you'll find stories out there about tree chopping contests. 
and how one guy stops periodically to sharpen his axe and surpasses the guy who's so eager to get the job done but struggles because he's trying to cut down a tree with a dull axe. Well, the message is clear. Have your priorities straight. Sharpen your axe before you try to cut down a tree or come closer to God before you try to take on some significant task. We think we know it all. We're experienced. We only need God when we're in trouble or when we're aware of our weakness. And a lot of times, we're taken with arrogance. Arrogance may sound like something extraordinary, but it is just that sense of, I know what I'm doing, I don't need anybody's help, and I don't need to listen to anyone else. That puts us all in danger, especially if we call ourselves Christians because the first order of business every day is to get up and walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Not just on Sunday, not just when there's a get-together in the name of Christ. Proper preparation is the most important part of speed. If we know God... First, he wants us to come closer. And there's kind of three ways in this chapter that I think are really profound. In the first nine verses, what's, what's that all about? Circumcision, circumcision, circumcision. What's circumcision? Well, circumcision is the establishment of a relationship with God. We call it a covenant. And it started with Abraham. He was the first one to be circumcised. So all the people after him are in the covenant and descendants of Abraham. You know, all the patriarchs, they're descendants, they're blood of Abraham. They're all circumcised because they all renew the covenant. And God says, this next generation, this new generation, before we do this, I want them to be committed to me. And so he says, circumcise. And that's just, well, that's the first point. Renew God's covenant. The second one is recall God's deliverance. Right after circumcision, and this is all initiated, in fact, back in chapter, I think it was chapter 4, verse 29, it mentioned it was the 10th of Nisan, or what generally is March, April for us. And so on the, on the 14th, they observe the Passover. What is the Passover? Well, Passover is the, it's the label, if you will. It's, it's, it's called a time of remembrance of God's great deliverance. When God intervened and brought the people, he delivered them from slavery through Moses, through his power, Moses' brother, and brought the people out of Egypt into the wilderness where he prepared them for entering the land. So the Passover was a remembrance of God's deliverance. But that's the second point. Recall God's deliverance in verses 10, 11, and 12. And then in verses 13, 14, and 15, we find Joshua somewhere 
We don't know exactly where, but we're told he's somewhere near Jericho. So he's not in camp. He's near Jericho. And we might surmise, probably as good as anyone else, that Jericho is kind of checking out the walls, the lay of the land. He realizes he's going to be leading the people against this fortified city. So he's looking things over. When uh, I imagine he turns to look in a different direction, and there's this mysterious figure with a sword drawn. Now, when your sword is drawn, you're, you're ready. You're ready for battle. You're ready to attack, to engage. And so Joshua says, uh, whose side are you on? Because Joshua needs to know that, right? Are you friend or foe? And that brings us to the third thing, because the, this mysterious figure says, no, I'm not on your side, I'm not on their side. What you need to know is, I am the commander of the Lord's armies. And Joshua has to get his priorities straight. And we'll talk about these three things very briefly. Let's look at renew God's covenant in those first nine verses. I've been thinking a lot. It, it just is beyond my comprehension that I have been your pastor at Grace Community for 22 years. I, I I just don't even know how to feel that. I can't feel that. I mean, it overwhelms my feelings. When I first came, I was actually, here I'll use a military metaphor to show you how, how easily we fall into these things. When I first had my boots on the ground here, that was May 1st of 2000. I became the pastor on December 5th, 1999. And then, because my family and I were out of town, I was commuting, but I was here full-time, May 1st. And then, not just but a month later, on June 3rd, 2000, a couple from the church were celebrating their 25th anniversary. On that day, June 3rd, 2000, their 25th, wedding anniversary, and they asked me, in advance, of course, they asked me to renew, to officiate the renewal of their vows. Now, that is always a very moving experience, to see two people stand face to face. Now, in this case, a couple that had been married 25 years, they stood face to face again, and looked into each other's eyes, and they confessed their love for one another, and they vowed to love and to cherish until death do them part. Their affection and their loyalty to one another. I just, that's special. Obviously, they had done that many times before, but it was special on that anniversary. This is something like that, this circumcision. 
They had been following God. They had been, but God wanted them to really, you like this. I, he wanted them to have some skin in the game. He wanted them to be fully committed. And there are times in our lives where we, as committed as we are, on paper, we may say all the right things. If push comes to shove, we may back up to that wall and say, Jesus is Lord. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. But during the week or during the month or as time passes or as things grow cool or difficult, or there are things we encounter that we don't understand and we grow impatient with God, or a host of other things, we become uncommitted in our faith. And we would never want to be disloyal, but in practice, we are kind of disloyal. We vow that he is Lord, but in day-to-day living... He is not first and foremost in our thoughts. How do I know this? Because I know what I'm talking about. And you and I are alike. And it is to be our practice to come closer and come closer and come closer to the Lord on a daily basis. To include him and include him and include him to give him his rightful place in our daily affairs. Whether we characterize them with terminology and language from war and the military or not, he needs to be our commander and she. This next generation fully commits to the Lord. They identify and vow themselves to God. In fact, the place where this happens, it says they named it. And do you know what the name Gibeath Ha'araloth means? Hill of skins. Hill of skins. Or foreskins. What verses 4 through 7 highlights is the significance. In verse 6, it says the previous generation, I like the wording, um, they did not obey the voice of the Lord, which means, and it's interesting, I know in both Hebrew and Greek, the word hear and obey are often the same word. Because if you really hear, you know, it's not just sounds or you're out there talking, but I'm not listening. So here, when it talks about obeying or hearing the voice of the Lord, that means they're responsive to the Lord. But there was a generation that was not responsive to God. He says, you're not fit. You're not fit. Till the, to the children, verse 7, notice this. It kind of goes over the Because he, the word he is not capitalized it says the children whom he raised up we could just pass right over that but that is a reference to God's care of the next generation 
And we often, we take that for granted. We don't acknowledge. And yet if you read, for example, Paul or Peter or James carefully, they they recognize that everything that goes on in their lives is from the grace and favor of God, that he is raising us up. Yeah, from a scientific view, we can break it all down and find natural explanations for everything, you know. But the Bible says God's involved in those things that we think he's not involved in. And we need to be grateful. We need to be responsive to him. We need to hear his voice. And so it is to the children whom he raised up that God says, come closer Come closer. Your other, your forefathers were so far away they couldn't hear me. And yet proximity (laughs) isn't necessarily geographical. Sometimes we can be as close to the Lord as the next person. It's just we're turned off to him and his place in our lives. So coming closer removes the reproach in verse 9. That's the reproach of Egypt and the desert, it says, or some translations say the wilderness. And it prepares them for the future, which is going to be the land of promise. But there was also reproach from the Egyptians themselves towards the people, that their God was no God, that they were uh, fool, fools for following God. And so this reproach has been removed. It is no longer upon them. You know, that's a beautiful thing, though. In in fact, in terms of our own life, whether it's guilt or sin or whatever it is that, so to speak, has us by the ankle and won't let go, when we turn to God and come closer to him, it, it just, it all falls away. It should all fall away if we, if we understand what it means to come closer to the Lord. Part of it is, I think, recalling God's deliverance. And we see that in verses 10 and 11 and 12. And in this sense, we, re, we relive God's personal deliverance. You know, if we want to come closer to God, how, how do we do that? Well, we renew our commitment and then we relive God's personal deliverance deliverance. And I've done that many, many times. Sometimes I, I get ahead of myself or I think I'm hot, some hot shot or I know what I'm go, going through or doing or whatever it is. And I just got to get my head on straight. I was a broken sinner. And, and that may sound like Bible language. I was just a broken person. And God picked me up. When I, when I decided that, you know what, I was at the end of my rope. I didn't want to admit it. I really needed God. And I began to follow faithfully. I fell a lot. I stumbled. I still do. But I know where my salvation lies. I know who my deliverer is. I know that his grace is what is enough for me. And those are the things that we always need to get front and center in our thinking. And sometimes when we're away from him, that's, that's all we need to do is just come closer to him. 
and renew our commitment and relive God's personal deliverance and who he is. And they do this through Passover in verses 10 through 12. That's when they remember his deliverance. We we can look at the cross. We can revisit our baptism. Baptism is very important. When we enter those waters, we are enacting a state of heart and commitment to the Lord when we say, I am dying to this life. I am dying to this world. I am dying to myself. Read Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 8. It's powerful. But baptism is the profession of faith in Christ. It's not some kind of hazing. And we also remember, we at Grace do it once a month. You could do it every day. But we remember the Lord's Supper, which is a commemoration of Jesus' death and also resurrection because it emphasizes not only his body given for us, but a new covenant. A new covenant looks ahead, not to the defeat of death, but the victory of resurrection. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, and verse 6 is a favorite of mine, and I've repeated it to myself many times. I'll read it to you. Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and firm in your faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. Well, the shorthand of that is, as you received him, so live in him. And I remember how I received him. I was broken, and there was no one else who would love me or accept me like God would. And if that's your experience too, then that's ground zero for us. That's the place of impact, more military language, you know. So that, that's where we really come back to. We remember who we were and who we've become and the space between and that it was all God. It was all him. And if there's anyone we can trust in times of fear or danger or challenge or uncertainty or weakness or feeling like we just, we can't do this. And we're so prone to turn to things that are material and visible and present. And God is saying, trust me, we can trust him. That's very important. In verse 12, when Joshua is somewhere near Jericho, he meets this mysterious figure. And he, dec- he asks him, you know, whose side are you on? And he says, none. I'm, I'm not on yours. I'm not on theirs. I'm the commander of the Lord of hosts. And then importantly, he says, now I have come. Well, that's a real cue. He's saying, um, I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take over. 
And since I'm in charge, because now I have come, now I have taken the battlefield, then it's your part to get on my side, to join me. And what's uh, interesting here is when the Lord shows up, then we have this short parenthesis. And you don't realize that the Lord's not done talking. You know, Joshua, he immediately falls on his face. He says, what word have you got for your servant? And he, the first word he says is, well, you can take off those stinking sandals. You're on holy ground. And then that's kind of where it ends, right? No, it doesn't end there. Then there's this parenthesis. Parenthesis. Now, in Hebrew and other, we put in, you know, chapter and verse, but this is a continuing story. So what happens next? Well, it's in chapter 6, verse 1, and it says, it kind of breaks away from the experience, and it says, well, while this was going on, over in Jericho, the people were freaking out. They were so frightened that they shut up everything. They're just blocking up everything. They're, they're under siege. And why are they so frightened? Well, yes, they, they can see the people of Israel, but there's a presence, I contend. There's a presence that's taken the field that is associated with Israel because he's definitely not associated with the people of Jericho. They're looking to their deities, to their idols. And it's significant that then the next thing the Lord says occurs in chapter 6, verse 2, and we'll be looking at that next week. But it's so important. There's just a few real quick reminders. We've got to develop our eyes of faith. Job, and he says, this is in chapter 10, verse 4 of Job. Job asks, does God have eyes of flesh to see as man sees? You see, there's a lot more going on than eyes of flesh can see. And we need to develop sight by faith to anticipate, to expect. We may not actually visualize or have visions, but we should be aware. The Lord is here in this room. He is close to you. There's more to the human eye than we can see. I love this quote from Elizabeth Barrett Browning. She wrote, Earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush of fire with God but only he who takes off his shoes sees. And we need to sharpen our axe. That's a third thing. We need to come closer to the Lord, which is the way we sharpen our axe. Before we start chopping, I think it's our practice is to start chopping and then maybe get tired and say, Lord, help me. We need you. Jim Elliott, and some of you know that name, was a missionary to Ecuador and to an obscure tribe, primitive tribe. And he gave his life trying to reach them with the gospel. 
He died in 1956. But he wrote a prayer, and it's a good prayer for us. Jim Elliott wrote, forgive me, Lord, for being so ordinary while claiming to know so extraordinary a God. And remember, God is at our side, not on our side. At our side, not on our side. To think God is on our side can involve us in presumption. Or as Anne Lamott put it, we've created God in our own image if we believe God hates all the same people we do. That's just one way of reminding ourselves, and there are many, that we assume God just is cozy and comfy with everything that we think, all of our views of the world, all of our politics, all of our sports affiliations, all of our, our peeves with other people. We think God is right there rooting us on, and that's not always true, and some of us need to review the Lord in our lives. And maybe come before him humbly and take off our sandals and sit at his feet and ask him what he really does want us to be doing and thinking on some of these important areas such as sports and business and politics, disease and love. And to come closer to God, we need to get weaker and get humble before the Lord, the commander of the armies of God. As Charles Spurgeon said, God does not need our strength. He has more than enough of power of his own. He asks for our weakness. He has none of that himself. And as First Chronicles puts it so well, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. What is your battle? What is our battle? These are the battles that we must prepare for by coming closer to the Lord first. I may pray for us. I want to remind you we'll be down. We'll sing a closing song. And if, if you would like to come closer to the Lord in prayer with us this morning, I will be here uh, pastoral staff, elders, or deacons who are with us worshiping this morning will come and pray with you. Let me pray for us. Father, teach us to think immediately of you, not last of you. As we enter the enterprises that fill our lives, important ones that you have been a part of in the past that we need you to lead us in, in the present. And we pray that you will be our Lord in greater and greater things of our thoughts and our affections this day and throughout this week and forevermore. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus with praise and thanksgiving. And all of God's people said, 